think I need you mentally to brace for this, to emotionally kind of step back and, and think on this important subject because this is such a big, big deal. And I, I posted this afternoon because I was, I was excited about it just because the more I get into something, the more it just becomes clear. I love how the Bible just makes life clear. It just explains what's to come and where we're at and why things are the way that they are. And so I would love to just stop and as we get started and just pray and, and just ask for God to bless us tonight and to give us clarity and to really speak to our hearts as we talk about literally the condition of our world, but also kind of prepping us for the response of Christians to that. We kind of roll into some of that at the end. And so if you, if you will, right where, wherever you're watching and sitting right now, let's just stop and just pray and let's just ask God to be with us as we do this. Let's pray. God, as we get into this study, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for clarity. And Lord, just, I know some of these subjects and the things and the topics, Lord, that we're discussing can feel overwhelming. They can feel scary. Lord, I just, I just want us to be in touch and tune Lord, with what the Bible says, I, I don't want us to go through life, Lord, confused. I don't want us to go through life wondering. Lord, we have the most powerful tool in the world in our hands, the Word of God. And Lord, we need to embrace that and study it and learn from it and grow from it. So bless us now, Lord, as we're all over the city, all over the country, Lord, literally as we are separated in, in, in presence, but Lord, we're together in spirit as we study the Word of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So a lot of you know we spent three weeks answering the question, will Christians go through the tribulation period? That's a, that's a big thing just because it's, it's a matter of how we mentally brace for the end. If we're, you know, if we're living in the end, what's next for us? What will the, that be like? Am I going to go through it? Has it already started? And so we, we went through that. And if you have any questions about that, maybe you missed it. We did break that into three questions or three parts of that first question. Will Christians go through the tribulation period? Tonight we're going to hit a, a second question, and that is this question, are we living in the end times? Or I, I thought about how to word it, uh, are these the end times? Or, you know, how do we know they're the end times? There's different ways to word it. And I'll give you a little bit of my background, which I know a lot of you know this, is I've been in church all my life. I, I will be turning 44 in a couple months. And thinking with that, I mean, I have heard so many messages and hearing the words my entire life that, you know, um, the end is near and, you know, we are, we're living in the last days and Jesus is coming soon. And, and I've said this so many times, but it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other because we've heard it so many times. But I think with the things that are going down now, people have brought a lot of things to mind, like this worldwide pandemic and economic distress the division, the fighting, the, the, the lawlessness that we're seeing and people taking over parts of the country in, in Seattle and just, you know, like, what in the world? This is America. What's going on with all this? We, 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 not to mention the crazy weather. We, we, we get these rumors that there's killer hornets coming to America and then this dust storm that's coming over and then we hear about, uh, I was talking to one of our missionaries and they were telling me about in India and in Africa, they've had these locusts that have been extreme going through and just, uh, just wiping out these countries and doing all this other stuff. It, it, I, and I know some of this is exaggerated and some of it, like the, the hornets and things like that, it's just like, okay, something to make headlines 
with, and it was funny with things that we were posting and stuff like that. But it, the reality is it has made us think about a lot of things. It's made the world think a lot about a lot of things. And the question is, how do we know if we're in the end, or is this the end? And uh, I want to take a different approach to this, because a lot of times we, we list, like, in numerical order, like, the signs. Here are 10 signs that we know. And then we look at different things. And I've heard a lot of messages like that. But I want to do more biblical principles. And I want to take those biblical principles and kind of show you some application to this. And tonight we're going to split this question into two parts. So we'll finish this up next week. But we'll be big in with this. And I'm just going to give you two main points tonight. And I'll be honest, these two main points, I, I've touched on these in the past. When I say I touched on them, that's why I'm doing this tonight. Because I literally just touched on them. I wasn't able to get in and really explain these things. See, the thing that we can understand about the heart of God and everything kind of adds up with this. God is a God of order. God is a God of purpose. God has a plan. And so I want you to keep that in mind with life. And you're just like, if we're near the end, oh, why? And why is God bringing things to an end? And it doesn't make sense. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis. And let me lay out some principles that will help us understand beginning and end. So that we can see the why this stuff is happening when we understand this. At the beginning of time in Genesis, God created everything. We know Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke it and it came into existence. God created everything in order and he had a plan to it. Day 1, day 2, day 3, what he did. And everything that he did in his plan brought glory to God. And so there was these six days of creation, six days of doing something different through these different segments. And the Bible says in the evening, in the morning, we're the first day and it set up a, 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 an acknowledgement of time or how we calculate time. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Seven in the Bible is often the number used for the number of completion. So it, this teaches us something. It's, it's a principle at the very beginning, the law of first mission, um, mention, the very beginning that God started off with order, started off day one, two, three. You think about it, he's God. He could have said, let there be everything, and there could have been everything, but he didn't. He split it up, and then he finished. And that, that was the first illustration that we had of the number seven, of being completed. And I'm going to be bringing that out in some of these upcoming things to, to kind of make application to that as well. But we start there, but we go to Revelation, and we, we see the word, the number seven again. And some of this, I'm going to be preaching on this coming Sunday, but... When we're talking about uh, Revelation, it's, the Bible talks about things coming to an end. In Matthew 24, verse 3, and the, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and we've looked at this verse before, and at the end of it, he says, what shall be the signs of the coming and of the end of the world? So in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, in Revelation, and at the end, and what Jesus is teaching, it says, and it shall come to an end. We have a beginning and we have an end. And I think just like in Genesis, when God created everything in six days, he, he had a beginning and an end, and then he completed it. There was a start and a finish. And everything that he did through that had a purpose and a plan. You got to understand that everything that God's done from the very beginning, and all of that comes down to one thing. It was to bring glory to God. In all of, all of history, we get this, because Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. You want to say why do we have the world and why does everything exist? 
you've got to start with this principle of understanding. Everything brings glory to God. And out of that, and I'll help you understand this as we go, righteousness and, and bringing the things that are right and things that reflect the glory of God. Those things that we live out, that's why we're as the children of God, he wants us to walk in his likeness. That's why we're called Christians, because we're to be Christ-like in what we do. It's important for us to understand, and through the entire history of the Bible, from the children of Israel through the Old Testament, to the building of the temple, to freeing the children of Israel, from the sacrifices, the Jesus coming, the establishment of the church, the great commission to preach and teach, uh, evangelism, missions, the entire work of it was always to bring glory to God. It was all about bringing glory to God. When the world ceases, when mankind and plan and man existing ceases to bring glory to God, there, there ceases to be a purpose for man on this earth. And that's important for us to understand. Our reason for living, the reason that we live and breathe and we exist and we go to stores and we work jobs and we do all that we do, everything from raising kids to everything we do for the glory of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do all to the glory of God. Do it with all they might for the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We have purpose in this life. So when that stops, we cease to accomplish the purpose of life. There's two examples used in the Bible that help us understand the judgment of God or God bringing things to an end. And if it doesn't bring glory to God, then it's just bringing glory to Satan. It's just an elevation of sin in this world. So the two examples that we had of God using the illustration of uh, the end when, when he was teaching, he used two illustrations. We've used these before. Some of this, like I said, will be repeated of things that we talked about in the past. One of them was when Jesus was talking in Matthew 24, verse 37. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also is the coming of Son of Man be. What were the days of Noah? And he said, it's going to be. And he, he used this illustration of this. He said, as it was in the days of Noah. What was that? Well, let's look back. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Man, what, God, what brought God to the point? What brought God to the point where God said, is enough is enough, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to bring an end to this? And, and you look at that, the Bible says that it was great. It literally means it was saturated or is primary. Bringing glory to God and living for God and God being number one was no longer a thing. The glory of God was brought down and the glory of sin was great. It was, it was, it was the focus and it says every imagination of their thought, of their heart, was evil continuing. The, the word imagination means the thing framed or the mind or the work. It literally meant that everything that came out of their life, from their family to their marriage to their work to their entertainment, none of it brought glory to God. And I know we struggle. We'll, we'll go through life and, and there will be some areas of our life that say, man, I just, when I'm at work, I, I'm not the best witness and things like that. But we're talking about this. It says every imagination, every part of their thinking was always evil continually. It was just saturated with evil. God was removed. There was no glory of God left. And it says in the second illustration of that, in Luke 7, 28, when Jesus was teaching about his coming, he said, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. We have a second illustration, the days of Lot. Well, we look at that in Genesis that story, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. The cry was great. Their sin was no longer a secret. 
It was, it was, it was outward. It was vocal. It was, it was exaggerated. It was elevated. It was praised. It was a lifestyle of sin. It was cheering on sin. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they realized that they were naked, the Bible says that they hid themselves because they were ashamed. Sin brings shame. But when man becomes callous to that, we no longer have a respect to God. We lose all shame. We see that in, in our society today. There's a, there's a danger of, of living in life in such a way that there's no shame. We're not ashamed of it anymore. It used to be when it comes to like the, the issues with homosexuality and those kind of things. It was, you know, that there's a reason that they talk about it being, you know, coming out of the closet. I was, I was quiet. I was scared. I, di- I didn't want to do it. There was, there was a shame aspect to it. Not in our culture today. Now, now it's parades. Now it's celebrated. Now it's on the logo of stores. Now, now we light up the White House with it. There's no shame in that, in that lifestyle anymore. There, there's no longer a fear of God. There's no longer an understanding of it being right and wrong. We, we, it, and, and then that situation is in the days of Lot. That society no longer brought glory to God. Both of these passages have the same thing. They got to the point in their life where sin was escalated and the glory of God dropped. And God said, there's no longer a purpose from, for that. There's no longer glory to me. So what, what does that make in our society the difference when it, when it comes to this? Concerning sin, what does that make a difference with this in application? In Matthew 24, verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. And that's a lot of those things that we've studied and people look at and say, look at all these signs. Matthew 24, verse 8, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. The sorrows is the same definition of birth pains. I I actually did a message probably about six, eight weeks ago, and I I touched on some of this. And it talked about like a woman going into labor. And and the closer you get to the end, those sorrows or those birth pains like contractions get more intense and more intense. And I do believe, and though that's a, that's a body's natural warning for a woman to know, get to a hospital, get to help, whatever, you are about to give birth. It's the same thing in our world right now. We're, we're feeling these things. And the Bible talks about feeling it through the storms and, and just the, the trials of life and sickness and disease and COVID. All these things, they're birth pains. And, and they're getting a little more frequent, a little more frequent because the Bible is telling us through the cursed world that something's happening and it says in the, the verse 12 of this, now Matthew 24, verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Iniquity is a violation of the law, wickedness, unrighteousness. Jesus was talking and he, and he throws out something, a principle of this that goes all the way back to Lot and it goes back to Noah. And he said, this is what's gonna happen when I come. And he gave those illustrations. He said, this, this unrighteousness or wickedness or a violation of God's law where God says, I'm going to draw a line and man's just going to pass over it and they're not going to care anymore. Where I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go by my feelings. I don't care anymore what's right and wrong. It doesn't, it's not right and wrong to me. He said that that time it's going to come where sin is going to abound. That word abound means to increase or to multiply. Now this is so important for us to understand. That God was teaching this. Sin would multiply, sin would increase. And I've said this before, there's always been a presence of sin. There's always been sin in our culture and sin in our society, all the way from the back. You, t- you take Genesis, 
uh, chapter 3 and 4 and 5, and you start, all you do is have the depravity of man, Cain and Abel, Tower of Babel, Noah and the flood, all those things that happen. But let me show you Old Testament. And it says in Daniel 12, verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up thy wor- the words and seal the book, even the time of the end. And he's talking about this, this prophecy, all the way back to the book of Daniel. And he said these words, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. He said, many shall run to and fro. And this is such a cool principle or a thing that he was talking about. He was talking about that there's going to come at the end of time where people are going to be all over the place, global transportation. Uh, My family and I just last week, we were on a plane flying back and forth from Orlando. And it's it's amazing how you can get on a plane and be somewhere else in two hours, thousand miles away. That's the generation that we live in. But it wasn't just the travel that was talking about flights, trains, cars. I mean, we just had the, the space program where they went up in that rocket and landed in, in, in space. And we have this advancement when it comes to transportation like this. But this is simply describing advancements. And advancements like they've never seen before. Advancements. And you say, well, they've always had horse and buggy or they've always had like trains even... 100 years ago and things like that. That is true. But what it says is many shall go to and fro. It's, it's, it's a multiplication of these things. But then it also says the second part of that, and it says, and knowledge shall be increased. I want you to look at this word increased in the, in the Hebrew of looking back at this. It says to bring in abundance. That's what it's saying. It's, it, God says that there's going to be things of this earth, information whatever, that's going to come into the world and it's going to be brought in in abundance. It's going to be enlarged. It's going to excel. Instead, it's going to be exceedingly. It's going to be filled or full of. It says it's going to be great, that word means. It means it's going to be more in number than you've ever seen before. It means to be multiply or to be very plenteous. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be constant. I mean, you're not going to get away from it. It's, it's going to be knowledge like you've never seen before. Knowledge would explode if you could have put it this way. And they thought that this had happened when we had the printing press because they were able to put things and multiply instead of writing it with hand. Big deal. And we thought, I mean, for, for a long time, that even the, the Gutenberg and printing press and all those other things, that, man, that was, that was it. Man, knowledge shall increase. Look, we have libraries. Wow. And go to a library and get all this information for the longest time we thought it was there. Now we live in the day and age of explosion of knowledge. The internet, computers, smart TVs, smart watches, smart phones, smart uh, tablets. We've got Alexa. We can, we can be in our office, in our homes and tell Alexa to check the weather in China and what, what is the definition of this and all these things? We can get in our cars and have the internet wired into our cars. We can be driving and ask our car a question. Tell it to drive us or give us the information to go someplace. See, it's not just about the advancement of knowledge. But we've got to connect that to the explosion of sin because that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, I'm going to tell you there's going to come a day that sin is going to abound. And understanding how that applies it in times, keep in mind the days of Lot and the days of Noah. What, the sin just it was escalated to them. So are we living in the last days? Let me just give you two principles. I'm going to spend a little time with this. Number one, here it is. We live in the days of multiplied sin. This is, this is what the Bible says. And you're saying, is that us? Are we living 
in that day of Sodom? Are we living in that day of Noah? Are we living what Jesus said in Matthew 24 of multiplied sin being abounding? Because it's always been there. So let's study this. Knowledge or information being multiplied is good. But with the technology and the advancements that we've made, it's brought in a lot of evil. And we have that when Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of this. And the angels came to warn Lot. They came into the city. They went to his house. The men of this city came in at the same time. You've got to think of what was going on in this passage in Genesis 19, verse 5. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. If you've got to understand what's going on in this passage, I mean, literally, they wanted to bring them out so that they could have pleasure with them. I mean, it was, it was a sinful act that they were talking about in this. And I'll explain that here in a minute. And Lot went out of the door and said unto them and shut the door after them and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. So this, this passage was not a matter of we just want to get to know them. I mean, he was saying in this, don't do this wicked act that you're talking about. And I want you to see how this affected Lot. To see a Christian or a believer, if you would, or follower of God, living in that, in that atmosphere of that. It, living in the culture, it changed him. And I'll tie this into the end as well. It affected his children. Now, now verse 8, it says, this is Lot talking to these wicked men that was in the city. He says, now behold, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye unto them as it's good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. You, you talk about, wow, Lot, what are you thinking? Dude, what were you doing? To, to sit there and say, don't do this and you, you can have my daughters and do whatever you want with them. How, how wicked did this man be? How wicked was society at that, to, to, to view life, to view your children, to, to view sexuality in this way, of this way? It's just, and you think of sexual sin, of what was the core. We can kind of see that as an example in the days of Lot. Why, why was this like this? Because it attacks the foundation. There's sin and hate and greed. Even with Cain and Abel, there was a jealousy there. But at the core of that, there's these sins that he was talking about where Lot had this illustration of it was affecting his kids. It was affecting his family. It was different. It was deep. It was evil. I want to give you some of this. And you say, do we live in a day and age? Are you trying to tell me, Pastor Tony, that in these end times, you're going to say we're living in the end times because there is an explosion or an elevation of sin. And not just sin. I'm not just saying people are just unthankful today. I'm not just saying that people are selfish, and I'm not trying to raise up one center of another, but I'm going to say that there's sins that are coming into our culture that are exploding our foundations. Marriage, family, relationships, gender roles. I mean, everything going back to Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created a male and a female, and he brought them together, and they were one flesh, and they lived out life. Now the idea of male and female is being attacked. The idea of marriage is being attacked. The idea of staying together is being attacked. The Bible says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. That's not even a thing anymore. There is no, all these foundational principles from the very beginning are just being creamed in our culture today. Let me give you some stats. I want to just, I'm going to take a minute now. And I just want to walk you through as an illustration of this, of 
of sin in our culture being brought to such a high level. A cybersecurity company called Webroot put out these stats. So I want you to know as I go through this, this is not, these are current things, and some of these even are a couple of years old. These are not things that I just got from Focus on the Family, and I'm not saying that's bad. I want, I'm, I'm going to the secular world where they're going to say, let me tell you what we're dealing with even in our culture today. These are internet pornography stats talking about how things have advanced in our culture in the United States. Here are some of the most credible statistics is what this website did available on on internet pornography today. So how much is porn accessible of this? And you say, why are you taking this? I I want to prove the point of tying it into a lot and I want to prove it to the, the foundation of what we have. Every second, every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second, uh, $3,075 is being spent on pornography on the internet. Every second, 372 people are typing in the word adult into a search engine. Every second, every second, every day, 37 pornographic videos are created in the United States alone every day. Every day, that's, that's how much more is being added to this. Every day, 2.5 billion, 2.5 billion emails contain porn are sent or received. 2.5 billion. Stop and compare this to years ago. I remember, go back to the printing day and age, okay, when we sat there and said, man, this world is wicked. I've never seen it so wicked before. And I, growing up, I remember this because of the print of things. Playboy was one of the first to publish or start publishing pornography. It was a huge, huge debate. And it was, they, they broke the mold when it came to this and they stepped into an arena. They got all sorts of attention. In December 1953, they, they, were, they sold, their, their first copy was issued in 1953. They sold 53,991 copies of Playboy. The top selling issue was established or printed in November 1972 at 7.16 million copies. Now, I'm not, that is a lot. Okay, you talk about how it grew from 53,000 to 7.1 million that happened in print copies of that let me change things to the statistics today. Now, remember, when we looked at that day and age, we thought, wow, you, Jesus, you just need to come because our world is so wicked today. Look at, look at this. We have, we have this pornography printed in our culture. Every day now, 68 million search queries are related to pornography. 25% total uh, searches are generated of just this. 25% is just porn. 25%. Every computer, every laptop, every cell phone, when it comes to this, 68 million searches. 116,000 searches related to child pornography are received. 116, I'm not, we're, we're, we're talking back in the day with a bunch of perverted men producing and people producing this stuff. We're now talking a level that is disgusting now today. How online pornography has affected, let's just go with Americans. Let's just go with Americans. About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 
40 million Americans. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to porno, porno, pornographic content through ads, pop-ups, uh, misdirected links, and emails. One-third of porn viewers are women alone. Even, even that is a statistic that has changed. So what about this generation? You say, well, how is that affecting our generation? We talk, and the Bible talks about generations, and we'll talk about some of that next week. But what about this generation? What is it doing to us? Let me just tell you, is for like sin, what it does, how it tears down, how, how internet pornography uses hurts teens alone. Talking about the generation, because we're, we're experiencing a generation now that is parents and leaders in society that grew up where you had to go to a 7-Eleven, you had to go to an adult bookstore, you had to buy that magazine and hide it, and that was their porn issue that they had. Not today. You want to understand the generation that's coming into power, the generation that's coming into being parents, the, the next generation that is taking over, these teens, it, it talked about internet pornography because of the accessibility, even in the last two years, of coming out with 3G, 4G, 5G, the exposure of the, the power of this, it has increased the odds of teen pregnancy in this way. Teenagers with frequent exposure to sexual content on TV, just TV, just, just the way that they've brought down the, the walls with that, are, are, are substantially greater likelihood of teenage pre- pregnancy. And the likelihood of teen pregnancy was twice as high, now doubles with the quantity of sexual content an exposure of viewing these episodes on high, such, a level, uh, such a high level of sexuality. It was high. It brought it up. But now with the content of it, it says it's more than doubled. It hinders sexual development. You talk about the issues that we're facing today. Pornography viewing by teens disorients them during the development phase of them having to go through puberty and things like that where they don't know how to handle their sexuality. When they are most vulnerable because of this, and they're uncertain about their beliefs or moral values. With their minds being exposed to this in this culture, I'm talking about the explosion of this. Cell phones, iPads, TVs, laptops, computers, desktops, however you want to put it. Because of that, our culture, our teens, our, our generation that is right behind us, that are, or this, the generation that was born into this, they said that they struggle most understanding sexual identity because they've been twisted to see things far beyond what the generation before them has ever understood or could imagine. It raises because of this. Now, this is not a Christian website. This is just a security company putting this out. It raises the risk of depression. A significant relationship also exists among teens between frequent pornography use and feelings of loneliness, including major depression. It messes with you. We, we have a day and age now with issues that we've never seen before. Teens that can't relate, teens that can't, that, that have feelings and depression and oppression and anxiety. And you say, why is that? And I'll keep explaining this. It's proven that because of that screen that shoves it in their face so much, changes their whole view and creates a disordered uh, expectation which hinders healthy sexual development of them to even the expectations of know what's to come with marriage. Adolescents exposed to high levels of pornography have lower levels of sexual self-esteem. Literally meaning they go into marriage and they don't know how to handle marriage. 
their expectations, being able to relate, being able to connect. Here, here's families, not just teens. Let's roll it into families now. Family, family and marital pornography stats. According to the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families in 2010, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography was a problem in their home. That's almost half. 47%. Pornography use increase, uh, uh, increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Remember, we're asking, why is this culture, why is our nation in such a mess? This idea of, of pornography being spread through the internet, the, the, the cell phone, the, the, all these things that we have, literally, when someone gets into that, their chances of cheating on their spouse because of the mental battle, the, the spiritual battle, 300% more likely to cheat on their spouse. 40% of people identified as sexual addicts lose their spouses. 40% of them. 58% suffer considerable financial loss because of this. 33% of them lose their jobs. 68% of divorces, divorce cases involve one party meeting a new partner over the internet, something that we didn't have before. The, the divorce rate, cheating, the, the, the counseling that comes with that, while 50, 56% involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornography websites in the middle of this cheating situation, sin has exploded. It's tearing down homes and marriages, future homes and future marriages. See, it's not just internet porn. When I say sin of explosion, it's, it's streaming vid- videos, it's online entertainment. Netflix is a common part of most people's homes when it comes to Netflix and entertainment being streamed in your home because of the recent advancements that we have in our culture. 40% of what Netflix puts out of their own content, 40% of it is TV mature. 40%. Literally almost half of the content that Netflix is putting out from their own producers, they put into a content of showing nudity and uh, uh, cursing and all those other kind of things. When cable became a big thing, it was just the beginning. Now it's streamed on every device. It can be in your car, your home, your camper, on an airplane, Hulu, Netflix, YouTube, Sling, all these other things. But this is only a small part of the problem. See, we haven't even touched social media that's been brought in in the last 10 years. It has exploded the porn industry and sexual sin. Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. The stats dealing with people cheating on their spouse due to online platforms is staggering. You talk about trying to keep families together. You can meet someone from your couch now. You can flirt and delete. You can, you can be upset with your spouse and then find someone else in a, in a second. 40% of online affairs or online flirting end up leading to real life affairs. Let's go deeper now. You say, how can we? We're only talking the last 10 years, by the way. We're not talking generations. We gave you some of the statistics. It goes deeper. The internet is changing the way that sex is sold. The internet now is digital technology that is fueling a worldwide growth of human sex trafficking. It's not getting better. We're not solving these issues. 4.8 million individuals worldwide are victims of forced sexual exploitation. 21% of them are children. It's not just sexual sins. This is deeply ingrained into our culture. I can't pull up to a stoplight without looking over and seeing somebody on their phones. You don't find a home 
in Africa. You don't find a home in the Philippines. You don't find a home in Costa Rica and these places that I've been that you don't find the average teenager just walking on the phone. I don't care how depressed their economy is walking around with a cell phone. It's not just in our culture. It is our culture. See, we live in a social media-driven society that is driving hate, driving distractions to the point now where we can have rioting or we can have disagreements or we can have political debates and it's fueling hate across our country, fueling uh, fake news and lies, fueling all these things that are, are happening all around us that used to be just like you had to run get a newspaper to read something and get one picture. Now you can watch every graphic detail of every problem and everything and it all gets pumped into our hearts and minds. And I ask you this, because what's next? Remember, iniquity will abound. Iniquity will explode. Iniquity is going to get to a point where the Bible says it's not just going to be, it's going to escalate. And I, I've said all this to try to get you into the mindset of understanding what's going on. There's a website called Enough is Enough, and it addresses these issues. And it's a website just with them saying, do you not see how bad it is? What has happened to our culture and our world? Listen to this. They're talking about has it infected our culture. The average age now for getting a cell phone now is 10 years old. 10 years old. More than three quarters of a self-generated material of uh, images and things like that of pornography uh, is done by 11 to 13 year olds of the majority them being girls. Nearly 40% of children have received or sent a sext, which is a pornographic image or nude image. 40% of children have either received or sent one by the age 13, studied by, uh, 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 called uh, the foundation that went into this about parenting. In 2015, five years ago, 2015, five years ago, 24% of 8 to 12-year-olds and 34% of 13 to 8-year-olds watch videos online every day. It's just part of it. I'm not saying bad stuff, but that was 24% of the younger age and 34%. In 2019, which is a year ago, it went up to 50% of 8 to 12-year-olds and 69% of 13 to 18-year-olds are watching videos every day online. In the last five years, that statistic has more than doubled. So I asked you, what would five more years do? Where are we at when it comes to, could it get any worse? What's going to happen with this generation that's being saturated in this, confused every single day? Listen, you say it's not that big of a deal. A survey of almost 4,000 children aged between 8 and 13 years old, 43% of them were speaking to strangers online and a third of them speaking to strangers every day or at least once a week. A study published in the Journal uh, of Psychi Psychiatric uh, suggests that teenagers who spend more than three hours a day on social media are more likely to develop mental health problems, including depression, anxiety, aggression, and disorder, behavioral disorders. The amount of people that spend, uh, the amount of time people spend on social media is constantly increasing. Teens now spend up to an average of nine hours per day on social media platforms. So what's next? It's not going to go away. We have the illustration of Lot and Noah. We have Jesus telling us that there's going to come a time that, that knowledge is going to increase. All these things are going to expand. 
And Satan's going to step into these things and do it on a level that we've never understand. It has changed our culture. It's changed how we view marriage. It's changed how we view uh, morality. It's changed how we view gender. It's changed everything when it comes to even the basics of this. Even Disney just released in the last four weeks, they released a short, their first feature of a gay character as him telling the story about him coming out of the closet. Cartoon, a cartoon for children. This is the world that we live in. It's not going away. It's not changing. Actually, the only thing changing is every single day, it's multiplying and multiplying and the age drops and the, the, the confusion just expands. And the Bible said it when it talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, it says the cry of Sodom was great. You see, it was great. It, it changed them to the point where even um, in Genesis 19 verse 8, behold, now I have two daughters. No, Lot said this, I have two daughters, take them. We don't understand how this has affected the mindset of people today. Are we living in the last days? I have a lot more, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. We'll, we'll hold this off till next week when it comes to the second part of this. But I, I want to I challenge you with this. And, I, and he's like, wow, all he did was read stats. This is not just stats. This is the world that we live in. This is, this is what's happening all around us, every single day, globally. It's no longer, when it comes to sin, it's no longer just a magazine snuck under somebody's bed somewhere in their house. It's no longer a video being produced and dropped off at some store somewhere. It is multiplied. It has gotten into every avenue. It's gotten into the church. It's gotten into our home. It's gotten into our society. It has changed us like that. We never would have thought when the first idea of Wi-Fi or internet or 5G or Verizon and all these other things that this would be an avenue that Satan would just bring in a tsunami of sin and change our culture at the root of it that is literally bringing depression and addictions and everything else. And I just say, how much further, how much longer if it keeps multiplying with every five years, what more can we do before we literally are just Sodom and Gomorrah? I want you to think about these things because there's a whole lot more to this. But I was doing this in such a way to understand. We can sit there and say, I don't know, man, coronavirus. I don't know, there's hornets coming. Put all that aside. Just look at what we have. Look what's going on around us every single day. Look at what's attacking. And, and, and a lot of these are be below the surface and they're about to bust through in a way that we've, we couldn't even imagine. 